Cool. So what is hospitality, right? That's like, we all kind of know this word, but I feel like hospitality needs to be unpacked a little bit. And instead of telling you, I'm going to show you, but I don't have like a screen or a video, so I am going to tell you, but use your mind's eye, okay? Um, Indulge me in this. I want you to experience what I think about when I think of hospitality. You can close your eyes, but you don't have to. Um, So this is what how I experienced walking into my grandma's house. And some of you met her a couple weeks ago. She's a firecracker. But um, this is what I experienced when I walk into her house, right? This is hospitality to me. First, you, you open the door, and let's say it's summer, so a cool breeze kind of gently peeks out of the door cracking open, and it blows gently, and you unload your bags right there in the entrance, It's not cold, but you were sweating when you walked in, and immediately you begin to dry out. With your bags unloaded, you smell something cooking, some recipe passed down verbally for generations simply to be cooked here now and await your arrival on this particular day. You hear the gentle strokes of a grandfather clock. Your hand is filled with a cold glass full of sweetened iced tea. The chairs are old and worn, which means when you sit in them, Uh, When you sit in them, you sink like a toddler in a McDonald's ball pit. Glass jars around the room are filled with candy. And you can't name the brand, but you're pretty sure it never goes bad. Everything in the room is in the right place, right? Every smell is familiar. No stray dust settles here without being spotted and taken care of. And you're greeted with an embrace and given a meal. You spend the next few hours laughing, catching up, sharing stories and spilling your soul. And when your eyelids get heavy, you find yourself drawn like a magnet to a bed that isn't yours, but it may as well be. The sheets are just cleaned. They might have even been ironed. The room is chilly, but the blankets are abundant. You don't have to get up early tomorrow. Tomorrow holds no plans. You can sleep safe and secure in who you are and where you are. So my point, my point is this in painting that picture, right? There is something about some places that make them hospitable. There are places we go to and we, we can be our true selves and feel like our true selves. They remind us of our identities and they root us in them, right? Places of love, care, comfort, and safety. And it's because they're places of unconditional love, right? It doesn't matter what you've done or said, And while these places can be defined by physical comforts like sweet tea and blankets, um, they they aren't solidified by them. They're solidified by personal relationships, by people, right? So, of course, this makes a lot of us think of family, like myself. Maybe not all of us, but, but most of us. But I think we'll see in this verse that Peter is calling us, the church, to be this kind of people for each other to love, care, and comfort one another and serve one another as a way to glorify God and live into our true identities as believers and followers of him. So to be a people like this, we have to reset our expectations, right, and revisit the call in the Great Commission, the call to make disciples and consider how making disciples and these things, this this hospitable, loving, serving, caring environment, how is that related to making disciples, right? So let me read the text again. Uh, Starting in verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one uh, who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything, in everything, God, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, so here's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, first, we're going to talk about what this verse is asking us to do. So that's our first section where there's three things that I'll pull out that, that the, the text is asking us to do. Uh, and second, we'll talk about why we have trouble doing this. Why do we have trouble living in this way? And third, we'll talk about why the gospel of Jesus enabled, uh, enables us and pulls us to live uh, into this calling. So we should know first that Peter wrote this letter to those suffering persecution. Um, these people were suffering death, and so he wrote this as an encouragement to them um, to give themselves fully to God. Peter reminds them of the suffering of Jesus and the hope that they have in his victory over death. So the call to live this way is to those in the midst of suffering, suffering that likely outclasses some of the suffering that we experience today, right? So it's at least physically, right? So this is physical, facing death, persecution, those things. And I don't, I don't want to or mean to dim, uh, diminish some of the suffering that happens in this room, right? But the suffering we experience is, is mostly relational or, uh, or spiritual or mental, but we haven't we haven't seen a lot of physical persecution in, in the West yet, in America yet, as Christians. Um, but, but this letter is addressing those experiencing physical suffering. So we have to kind of put ourselves in that context. But we can relate because we do suffer in ways, right? So that's the foundation for this. So let's look at verse 7. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. All The end of all things is at hand. So this reminds us that truly... The end of all things is at hand, right? Jesus, this just means Jesus is coming again. It was true when Peter wrote this letter, and it's true for us today. Um, and the point is this. It's, it's a reminder that we just don't have that much time, right? Regardless of um, if it's talking about, like, the, the shortness of our lives here on earth, like, that death is approaching, or that Jesus is coming back. Both are true, Right? And we say it all the time, we're, we're sojourners and exiles. We don't have that much time. Um, so, so what Peter is saying here is that, look, time is of the essence. So, so be sober-minded. Take a sober account of yourself and your character and be prayerful because the end is coming. Jesus is coming back, that's true, and you're going to die, that's true. So, so time is of the essence, right, regardless. And another thing to note is that Peter isn't, isn't making this call um, in, t- to be isolated. He's not saying like, hey, y'all should go love each other in a commune alone in Waco or something. Right? He, he's saying Jesus is coming back. There's no question. But remember the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. Our call is, is to action for the world, not isolated from it. So we're going to explore that theme this morning too. How, this verse seems insular, but why is it? Uh, why does it apply to the world? How how do we get? Um, how do we make disciples of the world by acting this way towards one another? Um, cool. So verse t- seven is just saying, take that sober assessment of yourself, control your actions, and devote ourselves to prayer, so that we can maximize our usefulness towards each other and for the kingdom of God. So these actions are, are three things, right? Love one another. Two, show hospitality without grumbling. 
And three, serve one another with your gifts. So first, we're to love one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. The love we have for one another should allow us to forgive one another in a way that is different from the world. So many of us have experienced both sides of this, or like multiple sides of this. Maybe you have had, uh, maybe you at Sojourn have had an opportunity for, to forgive someone for some, some wrongdoing towards you. Or maybe you've experienced love that, that forgiving love that covered your sin, right? Like maybe somebody forgave you. Or maybe you've been forgiven for something that you, um, that you really didn't deserve to be forgiven for in your mind. Or maybe you're still waiting that forgiveness, right? Waiting for it. Maybe you feel like, man, I desperately want to be forgiven for that. Let me give a, just a small example of forgiveness, and this might seem mundane, but this is just the in and out, everyday kind of stuff that, that I experience sometimes here. A few months ago, I was texting two brothers uh, that are on one of our service teams, and we were having some scheduling errors. It was just conflicting schedules. And I just got so frustrated in the heat of the moment, right? And I, I, I like the moment, um, because it was via text, so like we weren't really face-to-face or anything. But I, yeah, and once you, send, once you press send on that text, like you can't get it back, you know? Um, and really, I treated them like coworkers, not like, not like brothers in Christ. And so I had to, um, it, it, my, my response was insensitive, right? I, I had to ask for forgiveness. Um, and I received it right there, beautifully. It's not just what friends do for each other. That's what, that's what brothers in Christ do for one another, right? It, it doesn't mean that we don't have honest and hard conversations, right? We, we do have those things, but it means that we give forgiveness. Um, when, when we call one another to repentance for those things, for those those mess-ups that, that hurt one another, right? A couple weeks ago, we talked about how every sin, it, it, even the ones that seem like they only affect you, they do affect other people. Um, when we call each other to repentance, we, we have to forgive as well. And so we know as Christians, we're enabled to love each other and forgive each other because Jesus has loved and forgiven us by his death on the cross. So now, instead of being pushed by the law, right, like, the law doesn't push us to forgive people. The gospel is pulling us to forgive. We've, we've been forgiven. So there's nothing that we cannot forgive each other for. Right? It, the gospel of salvation pulls us to live into our identity as lovers and forgivers. This simply means that the difficult conversations that you will inevitably have here, right, the misunderstandings, all those things, we can enter those confrontations and conflicts with honesty, love, and forgiveness. We know that love covers a multitude of sins, so we have, to, we have to act like that. In John 13, we get this beautiful picture of Jesus kneeling and like washing the disciples' feet. And after all of this beautiful show of affection and humility and love, um, even facing denial and doubt, right, that things Jesus knows are about to happen. Jesus says this, I give you this new command that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciple if you have love for one another. So Jesus is imploring them to love one another as a mark of their discipleship, right? So in the Great Commission passage, which we explored last week, when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
we can root the definition of disciple in a reminder that people will know we are disciples by how we love one another. Right? Therefore, it, it does seem inwardly focused, right? But it's not. It's not just inwardly focused. But, but to an extent it is. We do love one another. We forgive one another because it makes this community more fun, simple, easy, right? The, the community meshes better when we love each other and forgive each other and walking in that. But it's not for just to make this one good, fun family party, right? The real reason is rooted in mission. The world will know us by our love for one another. Therefore, this call is missional. Our world wants to be in community that loves and forgives, which means we invite people in. We don't go live in a commune, right? We practice community. We do it in bars, coffee shops, restaurants, concerts, parks, places where our neighbors are. And we meet them, we love them, we forgive them, and we invite them into our homes. Cool, okay, so next we're called um, to show hospitality without grumbling, right? So think back to my grandma's house. Uh, what if I walked in and everything physically was the same? But when I plopped on the couch, my grandma ge- greeted me not with a cup of tea, but by saying, it's about time. I've been cleaning all day and cooking all day and you're late. What if she said, there's that worthless grandson of mine never helping me do anything? <laughs> you laugh, but it could, she could say that. She has, like, reason to say that sometimes. What if she said there is, uh, what if she, when I didn't make the bed the first time, she said, man, I wish, I wish you were the type of person who made the bed. And my wife knows I'm not. This is hospitality without grumbling, right? And because it has grumbling, it, it makes it not hospitality. It doesn't matter how good the food is, how comfortable the bed is, I, I don't feel safe or secure or loved. I don't feel like I can be myself in that environment, even though some of those things might be true. Hospitality is rest and comfort and honest, but loving. It isn't grumbling. So by being hospitable to one another, we get a chance to show God's love for us and to one another when we enter our houses. So here's a distinction. Hospitality can happen uh, in a River Oaks mansion but it can also happen in your apartment where your bed's in your kitchen, right? Hospitality means that whatever we have, we hold with an open hand, bed, floor, couch, car, kitchen, it's all open. Come kick your feet up and rest, right? But in the end, hospitality is so much more than the stuff that we hold. it's, It's the people there and the way we treat each other, the way we care for one another in love and truth. So this is why we have parish gatherings and homes. Because the host gets to practice uh, practical hospitality, right, by serving those who come through the door in tangible ways. But you as the attender, because I'm assuming most of us are attenders of the parish, and not not attenders like you just kind of show up sometime, but you're members that don't host it, so you're going to somebody's house, you get to practice hospitality too. The parish gathering is a chance to show love to one another, to forgive, and to show hospitality. And the first way we do this is we show up, right? We come. We're present, we're engaged, and we come with the right mindset, one of love. We bring food, we care for the people in there, we engage with them. 
and, and just as a distinction as well, this verse doesn't give us an out, right? Like I've heard it said, um, man, that person's so gifted in hospitality. I'm just not. That verse doesn't, this verse doesn't say that. It says show hospitality without grumbling because the Holy Spirit calls and convicts us all to be hospitable regardless of what we have. Look at Hebrews 10, 24, 25. It says this, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more you will see the day drawing near. So this verse is a call to community, right? Don't neglect to meet. And when we hear this verse, and when people tell us to be part of community in general, usually we think this. We typically think they're calling us to community for our own good, right? Like, hey, come, you need to come because that's where you'll be poured into, that's where discipleship happens, that's where we check in, that's where sin, ha- where sin is confessed and repented of. And that's all true. But, but in Hebrews and in 1 Peter, this section, we're being called to community not... Uh, not for the benefit of ourselves, but for the benefit of others. Look at the verse. Consider how to stir one another up in love, right? Don't neglect to meet because encouraging one another needs to happen. Stirring up with one another needs to happen. It's not, hey, don't neglect to meet because you really need to be poured into this week. No, it's don't neglect to meet because if you neglect to meet, who's going to stir one another up, right? Right? So parish gatherings and Sunday are no different. Yes, by being present, we get poured into and filled up, but the call is to action, actions of service, uh, actions of love and hospitality, and you can't fulfill these actions if we're not, if we're not present. Community, is, like Peyton said, or sorry, like Clayton said, community is more than just the gathering, right? We're the parish throughout the week. But the gathering on Sunday and during the week in the parish is the minimum rhythm of hospitality. That's where we've marked off and said, look, we're, this is where we're going to show up, be present, love one another, serve one another. This is, that's the area. So if you are hosting a parish in your home, it might not seem like you really get a choice, right? Like people are coming in regardless every week. But you do, you do have a choice of whether you'll be present and engaged and serving and hospitable you have a choice. And if you don't host, the goal is the same, spiritually present and a mindset that you're going to serve and love your community. It's what the Holy Spirit is pulling us to do, right? And we may have to sacrifice time or some of our schedule to make this a reality, and that's okay, right? The, the gospel's pulling us towards that, to live in that tension, what the world and our flesh will tell us is that this isn't really that important. But, but that's why it's a discipline to prioritize community, right? Like, we, we, sh- we don't have to plan for it and make it a rhythm if it was something that would naturally happen. It's discipline. So again, not a means in and of itself, just go and be with each other. It, the, it's rooted in mission, right? It's rooted in showing the world that we prioritize hospitable environments, where we can be comfortable, vulnerable, honest. It's where we can be ourselves, our true selves, and saying that the world will know we are Jesus' disciples by how we love one another. When we say that, we know that the world, uh, Jesus is telling us that the world yearns for this environment. But blankets don't create it, people do. 
Okay, so last thing we're called to do is to serve one another with our gifts as stewards of God's very grace. Verse 10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as, um, as one who speaks oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God that God supplies. And that means simply this, we find out what God has gifted to do and we do it knowing that God enables us to do it, right? We do it to love and serve the brothers and sisters in our midst. And he gives a few examples, but the examples are simply rooted in God as the originator and sustainer of those gifts, right? So like he says, you know, if you're a good speaker, then speak the word of God. And if, and then he just can't, puts everybody else in the other camp. If you're not, then serve with the strength of God. That means that some of us teach, some of us do administration, some of us clean, some of us greet, some of us watch kids, some of us play music. And when we operate in these roles, we're simply acknowledging that, that God equips us with the capacity to do them, he sustains us with the strength and energy to do them, and that we do them for his glory and honor. Finding out how God has graced us with specialized and specific gifts can be difficult, and those gifts can evolve, right? But um, we can do it. A few months ago, our parish uh, actually just went around and everybody talked about what gifts they, they had. But, but the really beautiful part of it was not when they talked about their gifting, but other people got to say, like, I also see this gift in you, that you have wisdom beyond your years, or that you care for people very well, or you're kind. And we got to speak each other's gifts, and it, everybody came away feeling like, man, like I'm, I'm part of this mosaic of the church. I'm, I'm part of this, and I serve in a different function. So we are a church plant, if you didn't know. And even still, that means a lot of what we do here feels like just all hands on deck. Like, hey, can you speak the word hello? Okay, you're a greeter. Like, come on. But the strength to serve more weeks than usual, like in a, in a bigger church, you might only serve once a quarter, right? But we're asking for like once or twice or three times a month usually. And the strength to do that and the reason we do that is, is because God equips us, he sustains us, and, he, and we do it for his glory, right? I'm blessed to serve among the people here. People go above and beyond to serve each other. But why do we do this and why should we do this, right? It's, it's what I just said, to glorify God through what Jesus has done. We do all of this to glorify God and obey Jesus' call to make disciples, right? We create a hospitable environment here that people walk into and feel like, man, nothing's perfect. Like, it floods sometimes and mics go out or whatever, but, but I feel welcomed and loved. And what do disciples do? They love each other. They're hospitable to each other. They don't grumble when they are, they forgive, and they serve. All of this happens not isolated, right? You can't do any of those things if you're like me in undergrad that was like, man, I don't really need the church. I can just read like Christian nonfiction and that'll be good alone. How do I love, how do I love my brothers and sisters when I do that, right? It happens in the context of the local church, and specifically here it happens in the context of a neighborhood parish day in and day out. So why is this hard, right? Why is this difficult for some of us? And before I answer that, 
I just want to speak about how God has been very gracious to us here. There is no system or sermon Marshall or I could create or preach that would create some of the community like we have here. Right? All the time I hear about people learning and growing in their identity of Christ, uh, in Christ. I hear about hard conversations that are honest and loving. I hear about unbelievers being prayed for in parishes, men and women walking through sin struggles and sharing burdens and praising God for amazing things going on in their lives. And it's all because of the Holy Spirit empowering us to live in accordance with God's word. It's not because we've created something that's unique, right? It's because the Holy Spirit is working on people here. This doesn't mean that we have paradise, though, right? We still are fallible. We still struggle with pride. We still struggle with humility. We don't love one another well all the time, and we don't forgive all the time. But, but we should be encouraged by what God is doing in these communities. And maybe you're hearing all this, and you're thinking, man, that, that does not sound like my parish right now. And that could be true. And, I, and if it is, I call you, uh, I, I say to you this, come to your parish gathering this week, um, not dejected, but ready to love, ready to serve, ready to forgive, ready to be hospitable, and ready to, to do all those things, right? If we all came with this mindset to the parish gathering, imagine what it would look like. That's what Peter's saying, like, it's the end of all days, Let's take a sober assessment, pray, and live into this identity as community. And in all of this, let's glorify God, and he'll add to our number. Because the Holy Spirit will blow in the sails of the neighbors and friends and coworkers, and they will say, man, I don't know what's different about that community. Like, like this has been said to me by an unbeliever, unbelieving friend of mine. I don't know what's different about your community, but something's different. And my only answer is Jesus. Right? It's not, well, we, we call it a neighborhood parish and not a small group, and I think that's trendy enough, so people come to that. No, I have no answer other than Jesus. Right? Neighborhood parish is more confusing than small group is. People are like, I don't understand what that is. Our only answer is Jesus, right? I, I have no answer. But it's hard to do this that, just because we're not perfect. We still struggle to live into our true identities as, as believers in Christ. We still forget that we've been forgiven. So we still grumble. We still hold grudges. We still don't serve. But through the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being enabled to serve, love, forgive, and be hospitable with one another. And that's, that's what I'm seeing here. So what is the hope for us, right? This is my conclusion Last week, we heard that the, the Great Commission ends with Jesus saying, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a great comfort to my soul, and it should be a great comfort to all of our souls. This is hospitality. This is love. This is forgiveness, right? Jesus is saying, I know everything about you. I know it all. And I died a final death for all that sin, right? I know the doubt. I know the denial. I know the pride. I know the betrayal. <laughs> he knows all those things, but he still says, I love you. I forgive you. I serve you. I open myself up to you. This is the extra warm blankets. 
he is the familiar place where we can truly be ourselves, safe and comfortable. Jesus provides those things for us in his life, his death, which defeated sin, and his resurrection, which allows us to resurrect from our dead bodies into lives pulled by the gospel to be loving toward one another for the sake of inviting more and more and more folks in. So maybe, maybe you're feeling a little defeated because you're like, man, I don't do some of that stuff very well. I don't feel hospitable. Um, maybe I feel ne- like overly needy or I come without the mindset to serve or I, I've got a lot of things that I need to forgive people for and I just haven't done it. Please don't. Right? Jesus doesn't, like we said last week in the Great Commission, Jesus doesn't, um, he doesn't hold the denial and betrayal and doubt over them. He comes to them, which allows us to just come, right? Come into the house, sit down, rest, and be honest, and feel the safety and comfort and love of Jesus through community. This is the place for that. Come and steward the gifts that God has given you by serving Come and love and forgive in the context of the parish. And if you aren't a believer in the room, my request is this, come plug in anyway. All right, this is a place where you do not have to believe yet to be part of community. We're, we're unashamed that we want you to know G- who Jesus is and what he has done on your behalf, right? So that's up front. We want you to know and believe the gospel. But... We want you to taste and see and explore who Jesus is and what he has done in the context of community. So I invite you in. We aren't cl- perfect. We don't claim to be. Like, but, but come on. Jesus enables us to walk in service, to walk in hospitality, to walk in love with one another because of his perfect life, not our perfect lives. His death, his resurrection, defeating sin. This is what we believe And nothing we can do morally or spiritually will reach this for us. But because Jesus is who he said he is, right, and did what he said he would do, and is crucified on our behalf, the gospel is pulling us to action. So as we come to the table this morning in just a few moments, let's remember that it's by the body and blood of Jesus that we are free to love as he loved us. And we can be broken uh, like his body was for the sake of our brothers and sisters. His love pulls us to be disciples that make disciples. And the world will know that we are disciples by how we love and ultimately how we do all things for his glory. Pray with me. Father God, we, we admit that, that we don't do this well all the time, Lord, but, but let us be encouraged this morning by by the community that we have and that we feel and encourage us, Holy Spirit, to go this week and, and live into that identity as, as co-heirs of the kingdom. Lord, we, um, we know we're not perfect here, but your perfection is what is enabling us day in and day out to be conformed through the Holy Spirit into the image of you, you who sat in dining rooms and living rooms and and were hospitable, you who were broken and bled on our behalf 
opening up everything you have for us to find a way to you. Lord, you show us what hospitality is. You show us what love is. You show us what forgiveness is. You show us what service is. As we come to the table, will we be reminded and encouraged, not shamed, not grief, grieved, not sorrowful, but excited about what you're calling us to be part of for the sake of others being invited in. Lord, may it never be so that we're okay with just the 10 or 20 of us in, in the neighborhood parish, but that we do what we do for the sake of others coming in and experiencing it. And when we multiply, split a parish, and it, it becomes two parishes, that we celebrate and rejoice that, that more people will get to be part of a community that loves each other well, not perfectly, forgives each other well, not perfectly, opens up homes, and holds things with an open hand for each other. Help us do this, Holy Spirit. We praise you, we thank you, we trust you with this, um, this mission that you're with us with to the end of the age. Lord, we love you, and we trust you. We pray all this in your name.